Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On just a, oh yeah, we, you know, hey, what about this? We're working on this kind of idea. Uh, I think a lot of compliance officers would have a lot of misgivings and concerns about anything edging towards their certifying the effectiveness of the compliance program. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, we take a deep dive into a compliance topic. In this episode, Matt and I take a deep dive into the proposed SEC rules, which were released Monday on climate change and corporate responsibility for reporting on climate change at various stages in corporations, business relationships, and its size. It's something every compliance professional will need to be aware of. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Welcome back, Matt. Hello, Tom. How are you doing? Good, good. So, Matt, we had an announcement last week that uh, alternatively intrigued me, scared me, made me scratch my head and wonder what Kool-Aid some people were drinking. And that issue was in a speech by uh, Assistant Attorney General, I believe, Kenneth Polite, he suggested that uh, the Department of Justice would begin to make chief compliance officers and chief executive officers certify that they had completed their compliance obligations uh, if there was a settlement with the Department of Justice, whether a deferred prosecution agreement, a non-prosecution agreement, or, or perhaps other settlement agreements. And I wanted to uh, use that as uh, our topic for today. Uh, hopefully, I got that description right. Uh, what did you see around those remarks? I see a lot of uh, lack of clarity and confusion around these remarks. Um, in fact, Tom, when you said that they had an announcement, I, I'm not even quite sure that we're using the right word there. Um, so, yes, Assistant AG Polite did give a speech. I have not actually seen a text of that speech posted on the Justice Department website. Um, usually they do, and maybe it has been posted, but I couldn't find it as of earlier today. Uh, but, you know, the news coverage of what he said just said that he made these remarks in a conference down in Florida. Well, w- what does that mean? Did somebody ask him about it and he just answered off the cuff? Was this a formal presentation? Uh, but it is an awfully big idea to float on just a, oh, yeah, well, you know, hey, what about this? We're working on this kind of idea. Uh, I think a lot of compliance officers would have a lot of misgivings and concerns about anything edging towards their certifying the effectiveness of the compliance program. And we open up some very tricky, nettlesome questions about uh, certifying it to what standard, uh, how much authority does a compliance officer really have about running a compliance program to their satisfaction, 
Um, so I have a lot of issues with this, and that is a shame because I want to be clear. I like the Justice Department. I've had friends who've worked there over the years. I'm a big fan of their Justice Department guidance, but this idea, we, we need to do more work on it before anybody should start thinking this is good. Matt, I think we hear or saw uh, several different issues on it, and you touched upon a couple. Uh, clearly, um, well, perhaps I shouldn't say clearly because it's unclear. Uh, the lack of clarity you touched upon uh, yeah. uh, and what all of this means. Uh, the first thing that jumps jumped out at me, you also touched upon, which is uh, the potential liability for compliance officers. Uh, if they certify and either they are incorrect uh, or they have misled the government, uh, they this could lead, lend, lead to personal uh, liability if you've made that certification. And that uh, also led me to consider perhaps uh, do they have the authority within the corporation to make this type of certification? And then do they have the uh, not just legal authority within the corporation, but they, do they have the actual authority to make that determination? Um, and then uh, actually I saw a couple of corporate governance issues. And I know you write and think about those a lot, but this seems to me to be actually a restructuring of corporate governance because you have elevated the CCO, at least in this situation, to the equivalent of the CEO and uh, maybe even above the CEO. Uh, and that, in an overall corporate governance structure, seems to me to be a, a major shift of power that hasn't been thought through at all. What were some of the, in addition to the lack of clarity and authority issues that uh, you at least raised, were there other issues that jumped out at you as well? Oh, a bunch of issues jumped out at me here. Um, in fact, before we get to those governance sort of issues, which I think are legitimate, let's even back up and still stick with the what are we certifying about here? So specifically, Mr. Polite, and we should note that he, in his previous pre-Justice Department career, uh, he has worked as a corporate compliance officer. So he does understand the role and the pressures that people face. But he said that you would have to certify that the program would be reasonably designed to prevent misconduct. What does that mean? I, I don't know what that means. What is a reasonable design or what is not? Uh, in fact, it's funny that in financial reporting, reasonable assurance is a very high standard to meet. Um, you know, basically, it means that the auditor looking at financial reports would provide reasonable assurance that these numbers are correct in all material aspects. So are we taking that version of reasonable and applying it to a corporate conduct, corporate compliance concept? How's that actually going to work? I'm not clear on that. Uh, and the other thing that I can I keep thinking about as I was digesting his remarks actually comes from the regulator FINRA for broker dealers. So not long ago, FINRA put out some new guidance about uh, liability for chief compliance officers in the broker-dealer world. Now, we should always remember, in the broker-dealer world, there are specific liability concerns, and they are long-lasting. I also think they are long overblown, but they have been long-lasting. And what FINRA tried to clarify was that the compliance officer at a broker-dealer has no supervisory authority, because if you have a supervisory authority, then personal liability for a compliance program failure might actually attach and be hung around your neck. So FINRA said, 
Our default is that a compliance officer does not have any supervisory authority. They act in an advisory capacity to the supervisory executives who are the CEO or the president or the general manager. And I think that we are bringing confusion about these types of roles now into the corporate compliance and ethics context here. Really, if a compliance officer is going to be certifying the effectiveness of a program and that it's reasonably designed, you're putting them in a supervisory sort of a role. And I'm not sure the Justice Department would want to do that. I'm not sure compliance officers would want the Justice Department to do that. We already have another regulator specifically saying we're we're not interested in that. Um, so yeah, that's where I keep coming down to. If you are in a supervisory role in the more strict legal sense or the corporate governance sense, then yeah, you're way, way up the food chain. You're co-equal to like the CEO or you're, I, I guess maybe, wouldn't you be stepping on the board's toes? Because I thought the board's job was to assure that there is a system to assure compliance uh, risks are being managed. And yeah, what are we doing here? Um, now, I don't mean to jump on Assistant Attorney General Polite. Maybe they do have a thoughtful plan they are preparing to announce. I would love to see it. I would love to see it immediately because this is the sort of thing that has compliance officers you know, quickly breathing into a paper bag. There's a lot of unease around it. Um, but you're right to say that there are going to be some big governance issues about who's in charge of corporate conduct and how's that all going to work. And I, I don't know. So let's uh, maybe talk about uh, actual versus real authority. Actual authority could be found in the corporate governance documents. The CEO could be a member of the executive committee, could be a member of the C-suite. Um, but could uh, a CCO have that paper authority or paper governance authority, yet really not be able to make those sorts of reasonable assurances and is that a real risk for the everyday operations of a CCO? I mean, it could be. And in fact, if you talk to the compliance officers over in the broker-dealer world who have been freaked out about CCO liability from FINRA, that's exactly what they worry about, is that on paper, it looks like they have a lot of authority, but in reality, they don't have enough resources or other supervisory executives, real ones like the CEO and the general manager, they're not paying attention to the compliance officer's warnings. And then what do you do? Um, now, specific to FINRA, the, that guidance that I mentioned, they are going to great lengths to basically say, you really have to be grossly negligent as a compliance officer that FINRA would take action against you. Or you have to be in on the corporate misconduct, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that idea. But still, there's a world of difference between having policies and procedures that define the compliance officer's role and that looks really good on paper, and yet, in practice, you don't have the resources or you're not getting the support from other executives. Um, it's really about clout and authority. And if you go, okay, shifting back to the Justice Department... Uh, the guidance that they have put out about effective compliance programs, they do talk a lot about is there real substantive authority that the compliance officer has. Um, now we're going from you should have this to you have to sign on the dotted line that you do have that. And I think that there's a big difference between those two standards. Um, 
I'm just I'm I'm still going to be stuck on how does the department enforce this? How do you analyze this? Um, if a compliance officer feels like they are not being fully supported, do they then have a duty to report to the Justice Department that this is happening? Even if there's no misconduct, like if you have actual evidence of misconduct, the CEO is trying to cover up. I think you'd be on you know pretty firm legal footing to say I'm going to go to the Justice Department. You know, maybe you get fired, but you could file a whistleblower retaliation claim or something like that. But that's if there is actual misconduct. Now, I'm talking about how does this work if there isn't any actual misconduct, but you are getting blackballed and sidelined and, you know, your jobs or your uh, budget is being slashed or risk assessments aren't being taken seriously. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back with more Compliance Into the Weeds. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe you go to the Justice Department with this concern for misconduct, and there might be consequences for that at the company. Maybe you get fired. But under that circumstance, you still have avenues open to you as a chief compliance officer. Maybe you could file a whistleblower retaliation lawsuit or a wrongful termination claim in court or something like that. My point being, if there's actual misconduct you, the compliance officer, know about that the company is covering up, if you want to go to the Justice Department for that, You can, and there are some mechanisms in place to give you some sort of protection. I'm more curious about if you're just certifying the effectiveness of the compliance program, what happens if you don't have any specific misconduct that you want to talk about, but you do think the program is being sidelined or marginalized or given short shrift or inadequate budget? How do you prove that's inadequate if you don't have actual misconduct examples that you can trot out and show to the Justice Department? So how would that work? Um, At best, I think you'd have some really tense relationships with the legal department and the CEO and the board. um, And, you know, to what end? So I think that it's an interesting idea by Mr. Polite that we should give more strength to compliance officers. I'm in favor of that, but the details of this seem to run up against some pretty well-established corporate governance realities and office politics realities that I'm not sure I see how they'd be overcome. I don't think either one of us are really process engineer experts. It also seems to me from a basic process perspective to have some problems so that you have a chief compliance officer who during the pendency of the deferred prosecution agreement or other settlement agreement would be the corporate head of putting the compliance program in place and then certifying that it is um, reasonably uh, designed going forward. You should never have the same person who does the job 
actually then opine on whether the job is completed. You always want a second set of eyes on that. Uh, and in, uh, the, in the case of a deferred prosecution agreement or other settlement agreement, it potentially could be a monitor who makes that certification. So just from a process perspective, it also seems to me to be somewhat problematic as well. You know, I could even spin this out in more complexity. Let's say specifically you're in healthcare. And so in healthcare, it is not at all unusual that you might have an audit of your compliance program done by, say, the Department of Health and Human Services or maybe some other outside auditor. So what if they audit your program that you are certifying to the Justice Department is adequate, but they're saying, no, it's not. So who's right or who's wrong? I have no idea how that would actually work. Um, you know, and another thought, though, Tom, you had mentioned the idea of a compliance monitor. Um, I think we're getting to what the real issue is here is how do we assure that compliance program improvements happen and that they stick? So the other idea that has also stuck in my mind is just recently we saw in the banking world, the Office of Comptroller of the Currency and FinCEN, they slapped around uh, USAA, the bank for military families and uh, veterans in the United States. They gave them a $140 million fine and an extensive list of compliance program improvements that the bank has to make. Um, these are very nitty-gritty about how you, even down to how many staff that the USAA can or can't use for customer due diligence versus outside resources, the training. There's a lot of reports that will have to be made. There's going to have to be a board-level compliance committee that's established. It's an exhaustive list. But might that be a better vehicle for making compliance program improvements that will stick than having the CCO certify something? It's more like, you know, the board can't get away from uh, what OCC wants it to do here because there's reports that have to happen every 60 days. There's a laundry list of specific improvements. We have seen this with other banking regulators before, very similar to what happened with Citigroup a couple of years ago. They had a big $400 million fine and a laundry list of improvements they had to make with the board confirming that that has happened and then the board getting a progress report that it certifies and then ships off to the regulators. Could you do something like that with an FCPA enforcement action? Maybe. Um, there might be other sorts of avenues that you could think through that are really about, you know, frankly, just riding the company's ass, not the CCO's ass, or not telling the CCO to certify something when that may or may not be within their ability to, to deliver it. Um, but, you know, could you use a monitor to ride their ass? Could you use a extensive list of improvements and a consent decree to ride the boards behind? I'd, then the board would therefore ride everybody else's behind and get this done. That might be a better way to get at what we're really trying to do here, which is to make changes and compliance improvements stick. What about monitors? I mean, typically a monitor will certify completion with a settlement agreement, once again, whether DPA, NPA, or other, uh, why don't we see this sort of obligation put on monitors, Matt? Or is that, am I just way too outside the pale with that question? I think that's an excellent question because Lord knows monitors can charge an arm and a leg. So, I mean, make them work for it, guys. You know, you want to rack up a $50 million tab on an FCPA settlement, you might as well be ready to certify something. Um, I don't know how, like, how would our friend Mr. Monitor, Jay Rosen, feel about that idea, 
but you know there are you know, there are expectations that compliance monitors could do um, that might actually foster a better relationship, say, with the chief compliance officer at the company. Uh, because if the compliance officer is being misled or the monitor is being misled, like they're they are somewhat on the same team. Um, but you know, if you're going to have the compliance officer him or herself certify that the program's reasonably designed and there hasn't been anything we haven't reported, if you are going to do that, then why do you need a monitor? Or if you are going to have a monitor, then why do you need a CCO certification? And maybe Mr. Polite has a good answer for that kind of question. I just don't know. He made these remarks, and we don't have the full picture of what the thinking is or when this might happen. I've heard other discussion points or rumors that the Justice Department wants to hire a more compliance officer expertise to help with this. I think that'd be a great idea. But in that case, like, announce it. Um, so, I'd, like I said, there, there's a lot that we have to know about before anybody in the compliance community, I think, would be very comfortable with this idea. Matt, that seems like a great uh, point to end on. Uh, Hopefully, we'll get some clarity from the Department of Justice one way or the other, and uh, we can, uh, you and I and the rest of the compliance community can kick this around and uh, comment as appropriate. Uh, It certainly, um, I don't think it came out of the blue, but uh, it seemed like quite a bolt of information that needs to be digested going forward. It's it's an intriguing idea, but there's a lot of details that have to be filled in before we would say it's a worthwhile pursuit. But yes. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you haven't done so, I would urge you to listen to my recent five-part series, Taxman, on the intersection of tax and compliance. What is the intersection and why as a compliance officer do you need to be aware of the tax implications around compliance? Check it out, Taxman, on the intersection of tax and compliance on the Innovation and Compliance Podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we return with another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.